Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from our equipping pastor, Dennis Kozlov. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. Good morning, church. Awesome. (laughs) I'm horrified to see the day when I say that I hear something different. Neil Haney got officially booed last Sunday for the first time ever in 30-some years. The entire congregation in unison and one heart goes, boo! (laughs) See? (laughs) I'm still not leaving. So... I made an announcement that I drank instant coffee. That's what I was booed for. Boo. I'm still not leaving. But, um, and I may not even leave the stage. No. Um, but I, I received uh, a coffee maker this week. So I still get the, the caffeine charge, but I also enjoy the, the drink. So anyway, thank you. I don't need any more coffee makers, so thanks. Now he can enjoy the taste, not just the effect of the caffeine. All right, guys. So good to be with you. It's so easy to be around here because we're not taking ourselves too seriously. Although we, we were teasingly calling Neil Bish, which is short for bishop. Last week, we promoted him to arch, archbishop. So he's doing well in his career. <laughs> All right. Before I start preaching, yeah, my name is Dennis Kozlov. If you detect an accent in my speaking, you're right. I speak with an accent because English is not my native language. I'm originally uh, from another side of the globe. Uh, If you're interested from the Soviet Union, country that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I have an announcement to make before I preach. We're going to have a workshop. Do I have a slide for that? Great. If you're here for the first time, you need to know two things about our church. We try our best not to be religion. We want reality of God in our life, and we preach the gospel. We believe all the reality of the goodness of God comes because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done. But then if you receive Jesus, you want to experience God in your life. You want experiential knowledge. I don't want to give you a sermon that you would just say, yeah, right, amen, I knew that. Thank you. Good sermon. I want you to have something to put your hands on and practice every single time I preach. So every once in a while, we bring you seminars and trainings and workshops to give you some tools, some instruments, some hands-on experiences. That's one of them. Experience Jesus. We have this person coming from northern part of Ohio. Her name is... uh, Petty Sadala, she's awesome, and she would help you to learn a skill that Neil has acquired years ago, and it helps him a lot. I practice it in my personal life. When you have a personal time with the Lord, you calm down, and you learn to tune to the flow of His Spirit, and you begin to hear His voice, and you write it down. You don't evaluate, you just write it down, and later, you come to this what you wrote, and you begin to interact with the Lord based on your writing, and God begins to speak to you. It's amazing. It's, it's spiritual 
uh, journaling with, with God in His presence. And it's amazing. Neil, can you testify that it's, a, it's an amazing practice? So uh, people hear it. People say, I want to give it a try. They give it a try, and they feel like they're not successful, and they drop it. So that's why we do workshops. It's a hands-on exercises. You're led through step-by-step process so that you would have a tool that would help you make it practical in your life. Okay? And it's going to take place on November 4th, Saturday, uh, in this sanctuary from 9 to 12. And if you know friends that would benefit from that, that are not from our church, invite them over. It just, it, it's for everyone. It's free. So it's good. All right. I think I made my announcement. I can preach now. All right. Okay. Let me shift gears by praying. Okay. Father, I thank you so much for this people. I pray for every single person and for every single heart. Help us, Lord, to open our hearts to hear what you have to say through your word. Anoint me. I commit myself, all of the faculties of my soul, my mouth, my emotions, to be your tool, Lord. So speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are finishing. We're coming close to the end of our current series, Living in His Body. There are several images in the Bible talking about the church. We started this series with a simple question. What comes to mind when you think of the church? All kinds of pictures come to mind, and not all of them are biblical pictures. There are biblical pictures, and the primary, primary term or an image that is used when the, when the church is described is the body of Christ. Unfortunately, when we use something for too long, it loses its meaning. So we needed to restore the meaning of the term, the body of Christ. If you read letters of Paul, soon you will realize that it's not just a figure of speech. It's not just a piece of poetry. Paul took it very seriously because for him, his experience of the Lord Jesus began on the road of Damascus when he thought he knows who God is, what his will is, and he believed he's in the middle of doing good service to his Lord. He bumped into the Lord. The Lord let him fall off his horse, literally. And in a split second, he lost all of his theology. And he said, Lord, who are you? I don't know you. And the Lord told him, I am Jesus whom you persecute. So from the get-go, from the very outset, Paul realized somehow these people on the earth that call on the name of the Lord... They're so united with the Lord that if you touch them, you touch the Lord. Jesus fully identifies himself with those who call on his name from a sincere heart and faith. Do you know I'm talking about you? So the Gospel of Luke, you know the Gospel of Luke, right? Do you know the book of Acts? So the same guy wrote these two books. I want to tell you something that Neil told you before. These two books are not two separate books. It's two volumes of the same story. The Gospel of Luke is the story of of the ministry, life and ministry of Jesus Christ in one individual body. This carpenter from Nazareth by the name of Yeshua, Jesus, when he was ministering. The book of Acts is the same ministry of the same Jesus but multiplied by increase, by spreading through time and space and finally reaching United States of America 2,000 years later. Hello. 
And if you read it carefully and analyze it, you would realize there is a strange thing about the book of Acts. It ends abruptly. There is no proper ending. There is no finishing line. You know why? Because it didn't end. The church is the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. <laughs> you guys are too serious for some reason. I don't know. Okay. So <laughs> this is my last message in this series. The very final message in this series will be done by Neil next week. But I'm telling you, God has been doing something through this series because each one has, you know, Neil has his forte, something is his forte, something is not his forte, and I have my forte, and something is not my forte. And the Lord said, I don't care about your fortes. <laughs> You're going to speak what I tell you to speak. And this, this series has been pretty straightforward. We were putting some truths right into your face, I'm sorry, in a good way. Not in condemning way, not in like judgmental way, just telling you, hey, this is the truth, deal with this. And some of you has done it. And we're so proud of you. So our main goal was to show you guys that in America, so many people call so many things church and it's not a church. It's a group of people, all right. It's a group of Christians, all right. But it's not a church because the church is his body. And when his body is there, the presence of God is manifest. And people get healed and restored and set free. Do you see a lot of that stuff happening in places that are called churches? Unfortunately, not so much. And we want this to be different. Okay? Another thing that the Lord convicted me, he said, stop promoting the bridge. Preach Jesus. I love when people say good things about our church, but that's not about us. I mean, Lily does a great work marketing us on social media because this is a social media age. But please don't talk more excitingly about the church than about Jesus that we represent. Okay? So, okay, coming back to his body. So how in the world do we take this American church, whatever it is, to, to make it more like his body on this earth? That's a hard, tough task. Because, because an average American Christian is a consumer of religious services. Thank you. Derek believes it. <laughs> okay. So we were putting those truths in front of you to, to turn a society of consumers into a group that Jesus would say, you touch them, you touch me. In both ways, positive and negative. It takes for people to be deliberate about connecting themselves to the body of Christ, in a local congregation, in a specific group of people. Not just, I told you in the beginning when I just moved to the States, I met this Christian and I talked to him and I was so glad that he's a brother in the Lord. And when I asked him like, what church is your church? What church do you go to? He said, we kind of go to three churches. I said, what do you mean? He said, because uh, I really love the preaching over there, I love the music over here, and my kids love the kids ministry over there. That's consumerism. That has nothing to do with the body of Christ. I'm sorry. So we were putting those truths in front of you and making you ask yourself a question and be honest with yourself. Am I connected? Only you can answer that because only you can make a decision to be connected to a specific group of people that call themselves the church. Am I committed 
Nothing lasting will ever come out of non-commitment relationship. You know, it feels good for a young boy to be with a young girl. But to have a good family with heritage, with, takes commitment. And the final one is servant. You know, our time and age, it's a time and age, it's a culture. And there are some things that I love about culture, American culture especially. I love American culture way better than I love Russian culture. Russian culture is sincere. Everybody sincerely hates you. One time I moved back from the, I mean, I, before I moved here, I was taking trips and I would take a lot of, I would spend a lot of time in the States and I would come back and I'm kind of getting used to the fact that in small town America, everybody smiles at you and says, hi, hi. And then I decided I'm going to try it in Russia. <laughs> in a big city of St. Petersburg, 6 million people. Everybody's neurotic like New York City. Like, so I'm walking and I'm trying to make an eye contact with someone and as soon as our eyes like make a contact, I try to smile. I go... It was horrible. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Why, why, what, what am I talking about? Yeah. So good stuff about American culture and ge just in general Western culture. It's very individualistic. Like, well, mind your own business. Smile at people. Keep a distance. The problem with that is that it creates a thin veneer of niceness. You're all nice guys. Hey, I'm nice. You're nice. Be nice. Hashtag be nice. Inside this veneer, and tell me if I'm wrong, there are people who are hurting, who are depressed, who are anxious, who are lustful, who are hateful, who are suffering, and they have nobody to share their hearts with. They're lonely, smiley people. And you know the church is the same way in America. And we want to be countercultural in this regard. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about. Some of you heard, you, you not only listened to the messages, you heard and you actually said in your heart, I'm not going to be a, a spiritual consumer. I'm going to be different. I'm going to connect myself. I'm going to commit. I'm going to serve. You know with the servant attitude, it's not about you anymore. It's about somebody else's. It's, about, it's not about your need and your desire. It's about somebody else's needs and desires. And some of you made this decision. And with some of you, I was really, really impressed. Like, wow, I didn't see that coming. That is amazing. But let me tell you something. If you don't hear me today, and if you don't listen to what I have to share today, this will not last. You will drop the ball. So, here we go. Today, I'm going to talk about Topic that is not very popular, the discipline of the Lord. It's real, it's biblical, it's in the Bible. We don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about it. You, you think, oh boy, I wish I wouldn't have come today. Well, <laughs> too late, you're here. <laughs> have, you ever, have, you ever, um, have you ever seen the beauty of the Lord manifested and exhibited through a sister and a brother in the Lord? That is so amazing, right? Have you ever seen somebody calling themselves a Christian and something ugly comes out of them? Have you ever seen both things coming out of the same person? Have you ever been this person? Uh-huh. I'm talking to a good crowd. So that's why we need the discipline of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to talk about fatherly discipline. 
It's one of the most valuable aspects of the ministry of the risen Christ today. And I'm going to show it to you from the Bible. It is absolutely indispensable. It's crucial uh, if you want to advance and grow in the Lord. Listen, it always, always comes with a degree of pain. It's painful. But it always restores you, gives you relief, and gives you breakthrough in life. So my goal today, not only for you to recognize that there is such thing as the discipline of the Lord, but to recognize it in your life and embrace it. And you will be blessed. And that will make you different from the rest of the crowd that are Christians, all right, but they're not the body of Christ, unfortunately. They don't live like the body of Christ. Okay. So here's the bad news for some of us who haven't made our peace with this concept, the discipline of the Lord. It is not optional. <laughs> so if you run from it, you're not going to be able to. Uh, and it's going to happen at all levels of your life. So in the church life, as soon as you detect anything that smells like criticism towards you, your natural reaction is to run, right? To find another church. So you can do that. It's America. But the discipline of the Lord is not going to be like, stop. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be in your life no matter what. You know why? And you'll, you, you will see why. Because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to stay in your current state. He doesn't want you certain things that are in your heart to stay in your heart because they don't belong to you, to your true, your true identity. And let's start with this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten, I'm going to read uh, from the second half of verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation? That's another word that not many people use these days. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. He loves you, guys. For the Lord disciplines the, ones he, the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good. That we may share in His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Can I hear an amen to this? That's the word of God. I didn't make it up. God loves you infinitely. And because he loves you infinitely, every once in a while, he will discipline you. And if you want to be part of his move on this earth, part of his church, you need to, to be aware and to welcome his discipline in connection to the church life. And don't worry, it's, it's, I'll make it easy for you. I hope so. So, once again, the core of today's culture is humanistic, egotistical, self-seeking consumerism, right? So, what happens is in the world, everybody respects everybody as a self-seeking individual. And that's norm. That should never be norm in the church. I, have, I actually have said that in, in my, in my uh, introduction. So, once again, I'll just say, if church would agree, if church acknowledges that as, as the norm it will, will never have power. Never. Okay, this, this shirt is very comfortable but very hot. <laughs> Fuzzy Wuzzy was a woman. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just relax. You'll be all right. So, some of you have been raised in religious circles. And they scare you with God a lot. They tell you that, well, if you take, uh, like, they talk about narrow way that is so narrow that if, like, it's like a minefield. So you, you walk like this, and if you, like, step aside, boom, kaboom, your leg is out. Like, that's not what God talks about. Narrow way is Jesus. Do you know that? It's not your schizophrenic, like, uh, fear of being afraid of everything that you're going to, like, make God mad at you. Do you understand that? If you don't, please come to this church more often. Because that's what we preach. We preach that God is for you. He's not against you. Forever. The narrow way is you put aside everything. You leave Jesus alone. And you say, in Jesus, God embraces me fully and utterly and smiles at me and loves me and favors me. And it's not deserved. It's deserved by Jesus, and it's given to you as a gift of grace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So our God is not a schizophrenic God. He forever established his attitude towards you. He's, he loves you. All right? But, yeah. So he wants you to be established in his eternal life, in his love. Uh, and he wants you to understand that he defines you as a person by his heart's love. You know? If you truly understand the gospel, you will never try to prove to anyone, including yourself, your value. Because you're valuable. Your value as a person eternally established and determined by God's heart, not by what you do. Can I hear an amen to that? We've been speaking about it over and over and we'll continue to speak about it over and over. Yet, so this is number one, goal number one. You really need to, to be established in God's love and God's grace. And that love and that grace changes you so much that it actually enables you to receive discipline and criticism because you're secure in His heart. You're secure in His love. Okay? So once I heard this rabbi, wise rabbi, sharing how 
giving some advice on, on raising kids. And he, he used this example, and I really love it. He said, when you raise your kids, use an image of a human body. Human body, usually every one of you has a dominant hand. Most people, it's right hand, right? That's the, that's the hand that you use most of the times to do anything and everything. You write, you hammer, you, you do things with your... And you, your left hand is kind of helping every once in a while, right? So he said, always when you treat your kids, give love and affirmation. Love and affirmation. May it be your right hand all the time with your kids. All the time, right, love and affirmation. Use your right hand. But every once in a while, you need to, to correct, uh, to do something. And that's correction. That's exhortation. That's, uh, what's the word, English word? Reproof? Re reproving. And I love that thing. I love that thing. So I want you to understand that, yes, the discipline of the Lord is real, but it doesn't come like multiple times a day. And God is not like, chuk, chuk, chuk. He's not doing that. He, he, you're, you're a beloved child of God. He wants you to be so secure, so confident that no matter what happens, you know, like, no, God is for me. God is not my problem. I am my problem. God is not my problem. Okay? So, yet, yet we need to learn to embrace, welcome, and receive openly the discipline of the Lord in your private life, in your work environment. And why am I talking about it? so passionately because I received some last week and it was painful it immediately started bearing good fruit immediately so some of you may be right in the middle of your season of receiving a discipline from the Lord and you forgot about it you don't recognize it you're just being frustrated and you think it's people or you think it's circumstances or you think it's economy or you think it's your employer but it may be the Lord hello so you, you, have, you, you really have to deal with this personally. So here's I'm going to bring this whole thing to the level of your relationship with people and especially people with the church. That's why I want us to be different. People in America, they know, that's a culture, that to do well with other people, you need to keep a distance, to walk on shells, shell? eggshells. Yeah, sorry for my English. Walk on eggshells. And try your best not to touch people's egos. But if it's inevitable, try to learn some techniques of massaging it gently to make them do what you want them to do. And if you're good at that, you become, I don't know, you become a good car salesman or politician or a mega church pastor. I don't know. Just, I don't know. No, no, I'm not saying every mega church pastor is like that. But like, that's kind of a, successful story usually right you're good with people they say well God says in his word that for us to be the body of Christ on this earth you need to be open to receive a word of correction from your brothers and sisters on a regular basis you need to to be able you actually need to give permission to some people to speak into your life and that speaking will not always be great and pleasant. Can I hear an amen to that? And that's, I don't think I have ever spoken about that in this church. So I, I think it's about time. <laughs> so we want to be different. <clears throat> so my encouragement to you, please, today's message, bring it to, to, to the presence of God and think and consider it 
and ask God to enable you to give permission not only to Him but to Him through people to bring the word of correction into your life. And I want to show a couple of things from the New Testament now in a matter of teaching to show you the New Testament principle of restoration. Do you know that many of us are damaged? Do you know that? that a lot of you are dysfunctional in certain areas of life. I am. Have you ever, some of you actually, you're, you're pretty smart. You're super intelligent. But there are situations in life when all of a sudden you find yourself, you're acting like stupid teenager. I mean, not all teenagers are stupid, but you act like one. And you have no clue why is it happening. And you're so frustrated with yourself. And like a few days later, you act normally. You're a good, adult, responsible person. But something happens, boom, this teenager is back again. Some of you have problems. I'm, I'm not going to tell you who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> like, so God's idea, he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants to mend you. He wants to make you functional where you're dysfunctional. He wants you to be able to bear fruit. So how does he do that in the New Testament? I want you to see something really, 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 really important. In the New Testament, every time Jesus reaches out to anybody with need or a problem, he does a work of separation. He separates something that doesn't belong to this person from the person himself or herself. Did you notice that? That happens when he heals the, any kind of disease, any kind of infirmity. He just separates infirmity from that person. He said, you do not belong to this person. This person does not belong to this. These are separate. They're supposed to be separate. When he casts out demons, what happens? Some entity, a life entity, a spiritual being is intertwined in a person's soul so much that it interferes with their life so much. And here comes Jesus and says, no, you don't belong. Ha! Go away. And here you see a person. I actually, I think the best example is the, the, the casting out of a demon from a gathering demon, demoniac. Is that how you call it? So remember the story. There's this crazy guy, absolutely and totally dysfunctional. He, nobody can control him. He himself cannot control him. He is not in his sound mind. He is crazy. Jesus comes and he begins to interact with this person. And demons begin to talk. And he says, what's your name? And he's talking not to a person, but to a demon. And the demon answers, legion. Do you know what legion is? I actually looked it up. I googled it. The image is taken from Roman army. A standard Roman legion typically consisted of around 4,800 to 5,200 people. That's an army. And what Jesus does, he says, ha, only one belongs to me. Real one, real person. You know he's doing that to you in your life? Well, I'm not saying you're, you're like all possessed. No. But you do have demonic influence in your life. Have you ever been irrationally mad at someone that you just want to punch them in the face? Do you think it was you? I don't think so. Well, anyway, I, I got the general principle to you. Do you understand? So there's a hodgepodge of things in your life. There are wounds from the past. There, there are some, some offenses. There are some uh, false images of yourself or others. 
Jesus wants you to, to separate from all these falsehoods that don't belong. He wants to distinguish you as a beloved child of God and restore you and make it the central point of your being. Can I hear an amen to that? That's what he's doing. And I want to show you one more image from the book of Revelation. That's another book that we rarely touch. But we will one day. Don't worry. When you're ready. Uh, so I want you to see something in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, it's one of the pictures that is shown to us to show what Jesus is doing as a resurrected Lord right now. So the book of Acts, we read what's happening on the earth. In the book of Revelation, in the beginning, we see what's happening both on the earth and in heaven. And the first thing that we see, we see these words. Uh, we're going to read uh, Revelation 1, verses 4 through 6. It all starts with the gospel. You cannot avoid the gospel. You cannot graduate and drift away from the gospel. So I see the gospel right here. Let's read it. Do we have it? Yes. Revelations, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, verse, verses 4 through 6. This is a description of Jesus' ministry now in relation to churches. I want you to see that. John, to seven churches, to seven specific churches in Asia Minor, that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the world, of the earth. Now listen, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. That's to whom the book of Revelation is written. If you're not clear that your sins are taken care of by his blood... And he made you somebody else, not who you are naturally. He says, to whom who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us. He has made us. It's done. He has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Are you this? Can you say that's about you? He wants us to be established in that. And then... He proceeds. He begins to hear the voice. He turns. He sees the vision. What does he see? He sees Jesus. But in a very different shape and form. Glorified Jesus. Jesus after resurrection. Shining, radiating glory. And Jesus is portrayed as someone who is where? In the holy place of a temple. If you didn't realize that. He is dressed, he, he's described as a, uh, someone dressed in high priestly garments. And he is walking in, among seven gold, uh, golden lampstands, menorahs. You know what menorah is? It's, it, it's a piece of furnishing that was in, in the holy place in Jewish temple. So this is the image that tells us what Jesus is doing currently towards his church because he's walking among the lampstands, which are churches. So what the what the Old Testament priest would do when he would come into the holy place. There was a holy of holies, remember? And there was a holy place. They were separated. Jesus actually destroyed that separation. That's his body is the veil. It's called in the book of Hebrews, it's the veil that was torn. So if you read it carefully, we're not going to be distracted by details of that. But I want you to see one thing only, one thing. 
Maybe one day we'll do the whole teaching about the temple and the holy place and holy of holies. But right now I want you to see that when a high priest comes to a holy place, there are only three things in the holy place. Do you know who the, what, what they are? A lampstand, a table with breads, and an incense, uh, incense, I don't know how they call altar of incense or something like that. What is it, John? Altar of incense. So there are only three things. So that shows us that these are three primary things that Jesus is doing today, today, in relation to his church. The table of bread, loaves of bread. Do you remember the name of the bread? Show bread. In other translation, the bread of the presence. And every time the high priest, not high priest, a, a, a priest would come into that, he would remove the old bread and he would replenish it with the fresh bread. That's about you guys. God is giving you the bread of his presence every single day to sustain you, to strengthen you, to, to let you feed on that. That's a promise. So we're not going to deepen into that. Another one is an incense altar. That's called the saint, uh, prayers of the saints. This is not like formal religious prayers that you memorize and you just go blah, 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 our Father in heaven who are learned. No, this is something that just flows right into the presence of God. I'm not going to talk about this but one, but I'm going to talk about the lampstand. So the lampstand was the only source of light in the dark place there. And the main fuel was the oil that the priest would put in there. Do you know what the oil represents? The Holy Spirit. Jesus himself makes sure you are capable of shining to the dark world. And this, this shining is not coming from you. It's coming from the Holy Spirit that he adds daily. <laughs> Another thing that high priest would do, not every time, but on a regular basis. You know what happens when you have something like that burning brightly? Impurities begin to build up. It's called the dross. So the priest would always, every once in a while, he would have a special, I don't know, tweezers or something. He would just remove the dross. If he wouldn't have removed the dross, the light would diminish. If he removes the dross, the light increases. That's about the discipline of the Lord. He, he wants our light to shine brightly. And He loves you so much. That's why He will remove your dross on a regular basis. He will remove my dross. And it's painful. It comes with a degree of pain. Okay? Gosh, I got really excited about the sanctuary and the table and bread. And I spent so much time that I didn't plan to spend. Anyway, it comes with a degree of pain. Paul writes in the book of Corinthians chapter 2. He said, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Although I did regret it a little bit. But I see that a letter caused you sorrow. Though only for a while. I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. When God comes with a word of correction, it feels like a surgery. It is a surgery. He cuts your heart, makes it open before you, shows you what's in there that is not of Him, that doesn't belong, and said, Son, would you mind if I remove it from you? And I suggest 
you say, yes, Lord, remove it from me. I suggest you take a posture of receiving the correction of the Lord. I don't have much time. I got so excited, so I, I took all of my time. But it's important for me to deliver two things. So you need, guys, you need to understand. I need to understand. We need to understand that we need to, to be open. This is a victory number one for a Christian. Not sins. Jesus makes it easy to be free from sin. It's just a matter of truth, receiving your truth, receiving the truth and putting aside the falsehood. The biggest victory is overcome the mountain of your ego. Well, it's relevant for Neil. You heard it. <laughs> it's, just, it's relevant for all of us. It's relevant for all of us. So last week I had to experience that. Some, some brothers confronted me and they were pointing to some things in my life that are not good. And it was painful. It was so good. Guys, it was, it was the discipline of the Lord. And I'm so glad they did it. And they did it well. I want to teach you briefly, before these guys start singing and leading us into worship, how to do it well, how to receive well, and how to give it well. Well, to receive it well, I use this image. First of all, it's simple. I'll make it simple. It's called humility. What is humility? Humility, basically... You and humility is never natural. You cannot like, oh, I'm naturally humble. Nobody's naturally humble. Humility is something that you need to be deliberate about, intentional about, purposeful about. It's like a gun. You carry it. You oil it. You're ready to use it. Use your humility. Carry the gun of humility on you all the time. I just officially give you a permit. So here's how it works. So natural reaction, natural response is fight or flight and that's me especially if you if you grew up in a bad neighborhood or something like that oh dude you're good with that you're a fight or flight guy I know you because I'm like that so very often when I I see something that comes as a criticism of me if I don't watch it I start counter-attacking or running and both are wrong pull out your humility and humility is like I thought like what image can I make give them most of the people are driving automatic cars today, right? So there are only two pedals. There's a uh, brake and there's an accelerator. Well, I'm telling you, if you're a Christian and you want to be a biblical Christian, you need to move from automatic to a shift stick or whatever. Not literally. Figuratively. You need to have an extra pedal there. The clutch. How many of you know and driven the clutch before? Good. We're still alive. We're not taking... Yeah, no, we're still there. So the clutch, what the clutch does, this, this, this pedal, you push it and it disengages the motion from, 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 from all the gears from the, from the rest of the car. That's what you do when you put humility, when you apply humility, when you're being reprimanded or criticized or, or pointed out to something that is not very pleasant. You say, okay, Lord, I'm going to listen now and I'm going to observe it and I'm going to consider that. So you push the clutch. You just listen. You don't fight back. You don't fight back. You don't become defensive, okay? If it's really difficult for you at that moment, well, maybe you can escape somehow and say, can we postpone it, please? I need to pray for like five minutes or something. I don't know. But let me tell you, as soon as you apply humility in that moment, this is going to be amazing. That's how to receive. 
That's how to receive the discipline, especially in the context of relationship, especially in the context of relationship in, in the body of Christ. Here's how to give. Here's how to give humility. Neil, can I share a funny story about you? Okay, Neil said, go for it. Oh, gosh, I'll make you stand for a while. I'm sorry. No, no. I'll try my best. I'll let your voice restore. <clears throat> oh, he's not singing. That's fine. Yeah. So, a uh, few years ago, the Lord convicted me. A, a word of a discipline came to me. And the word of a discipline was, go to uh, call Neil, have a meeting with him, and ask forgiveness from him. Because you've been harsh with him. And I did. I called. Neil, I need to see you. He said, can we talk on the phone? I said, no, I need to see you. He got real nervous about it. So he got to my office or to, to, to his office. I don't remember. We talked. And I said, Neil, the Lord told me that I've been so harsh with you critiquing and criticizing certain things that you've been doing forgive me and he told me this and I love what he told me he told me this story he's becoming a good rabbi like I am he's full of stories now so he said Dennis I have never ever doubted your intentions your methods your words your things may be wrong but your intentions your motives I never doubted them he said one year ago, I had a meeting with Americans for an hour. I was sitting across from them and they were smiling and everything was good. And right after that meeting, I was supposed to have a meeting with you. So I came upstairs and here you were and here you are. And immediately you told me, Neil, you have a booger sticking over your nose. Take it out. <laughs> and he said, Dennis, in that moment, I hated those Americans. Because for an hour, they were nice to me. And I feel so ridiculous now. So, if you are to receive any kind of criticism, any kind of unpleasant news about some of the things observed by you, and, and we're full of blind spots, we need those. You apply humility. And one more story, I'll try brief, I'll try to make it brief. How many of you know Pastor Grant Edwards? Great guy, my friend, my personal friend for years. And he shared this story, and I appreciate this story. You will too. He stepped into the world of the full-time ministry, and he's been in the full-time ministry for two years, and he thought the world of himself. And he was under the preacher who has been in the ministry for 20-some years. But for two years, he, just like Dennis, was noticing things that this pastor does wrong. So at a certain point, he couldn't hold it anymore. He started collecting a list of those wrong things that this pastor was doing. And it was just boiling up. So finally he decided, you know what? I can't bear it anymore. I have to have a confrontational meeting with this guy. So he called this pastor of 20 years of experience. <laughs> and he said, can we have lunch together? And he said, yeah. So they sat, they ate, and he said, okay, Grant, you wanted to talk about something. What is it? And he got serious, he pulled out this list and he said, I've been observing something. And he just started listing those things. And this guy listened, this pastor listened. And when Grant finished, he closed it and he was ready for it to begin. And this guy said, you're absolutely right. Would you forgive me for every one of them? <laughs> that deflated the whole that's humility practically applied. 
when Grant shared this message, this story with other pastors, everybody was like, oh. So that's how you, you receive uh, criticism, how you give criticism. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared about Jesus and the young rich ruler. He came and the young rich ruler brought a topic and Jesus talked to him on his level and young rich ruler said, well, it's not really an answer. Give me a better answer. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he pointed to the idols in his heart by the way that he couldn't deny he just showed that you're not able to separate yourself from your riches and your achievements when you separate themselves and the guy realized Jesus shone light on his idols in his heart and it said he went sad and disheartened we don't know the rest of the story maybe it worked its way and I we don't know I want to be uh, you know optimist <laughs> But that's exactly what's happening so if you feel like you see something clearly and you need to address it dude make sure you see the person the way Jesus sees that person you love that person like Jesus loves that person and you totally see the future when this thing would be separated from this person and you see the success of this person if you don't see don't you dare to open your mouth Keep it shut until you pray yourself to the position when you can do that lovingly, okay? I think I said all I wanted to say today. And if it was too heavy, that's your fault. You prayed too hard. Thank you. All right, let's worship now. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experienced the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this, or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.